Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the war room. We got Tez, Kill, Jimmy, PJ, B. Austin, a hot block commander. How you want to end a one or two hour show and keep the brain running with the premise of talk sports on a national level? Both with the topics, sort of like the rubber. When it's game time, they like the Fab Five doing prime time. Sports conglomerates speak their minds a little bit. For sports medicine and sports veterans and greats. The 4 for 26, so the war ain't can wait. It's the war room with five nights at the round table. Five silly guys, diversified and educated. What's up, everybody out there in War Room land? Welcome to another edition of the War Room. We'd like to welcome you back in the War Room like we do week after week. This is actually our first show of our ninth season. It's it's crazy out in these streets. We just had our eighth anniversary episode last week. But I'm one of your hosts. I'm Devin McMillan. And right now, I'm not at the round table with anybody. I'm flying this thing solo right now. Supposed to be in the house, but uh, Jimmy's listed doubtful, but he may make an appearance later in the show. Uh, week one of the NFL season is in the books, and we, you know, got to spit some bars on the Serena situation from last weekend. So keep it locked right here. And if you want to get in on the conversations, make sure you sign in right now to the JW Philly Realty chat room. Uh, that's at blogtalkradio.com/slash the war room, or you could join us on Facebook. Or Twitter at War Room Sports. You can also call us directly in about 10 minutes when we uh, open up the digital extreme tech hotline. That number is 323-410-0012. But before we get started, make sure that during the week when we're not live on the air that you check us out. Check out the archive episodes um, on the the website, warroomsports.com, the War Room Sports mobile app iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spreaker, most other places you do podcast listening. Um, it's been a it's been a, a pretty good week so far. You know, a lot of things happening in sports. The NFL is back, so you know that's dominating the headlines. Um, the whole Serena Williams thing we that in a little while. Um, you know that that you know Serena. I think not more so than. You know, a lot of the people that we know from our sports that we cover the most here, basketball, football, but Serena is a polarizing figure. And I think, you know, a lot of times she makes news, especially for the reason that she's making news this week. Um, it's a really polarizing situation, and it seems like it's been gripping the sports world on each end. All you got to do is go to the War Room Sports Facebook page, and you'll see some of the seriousness in the conversations that, you know, screaming at an umpire and things like that, having a meltdown, which a lot of athletes do, but you'll see how the reaction is from someone with the stature of a Serena Williams. It's, it's been kind of weird. Some of the, um, the uh, things that we've heard all week about the Serena Williams situation. But uh, either way, <laughs> it's an interesting one to say the least. But we're going to get right into uh, some of these hot topics. And hot topics are brought to you by my bookie. 
What up, everybody? Let's talk turkey for a minute and how much of it you can make betting on sports contests at MyBookie. The NFL is back, so if you haven't yet checked out MyBookie, this is a great time to do so. Lay down some dough on the biggest games in sports. Join us and thousands of other online players placing bets at MyBookie.ag. You tired of getting a runaround when it's time for a payout? That's why we urge you to join MyBookie. You win, they pay, fast and without any hassles. You're wasting your time betting on sports anywhere else. They even have in-game live betting so you can place wagers after tip-off, kickoff, face-off. Join now. My bookie will match your first deposit with a 50% bonus. Just use the promo code the War Room to activate the offer. I'm sorry, not the War Room, just War Room. All caps, W-A-R-R-O-O-M, to activate this offer. Visit mybookie.ag today. Play, win, and get paid. Period. All right, so... um. Real quick, uh, Gus Griffin can't be with us today, so we're gonna. Uh, I'm gonna give you. He did his picks for the week um, last week. Unfortunately, Gus <laughs> he went a paltry one five um, with his picks against the spread last week. He told me during the games when it wasn't looking so good. He said if he uh, ended up getting shut out this week, he was going to fire himself, but I'm not going to let him fire himself because he made a dramatic comeback last year <laughs> when, when all looked grim at the end of the season. So, you know, if you, if you took Gus's picks last week and you went out and lost you some money, don't worry, he'll bring it back. All right. So these are the games that he's going to go with this week. Let me pull this up real quick. And, um, yeah, I'm a, the the homie Fred Purdue is going to join me in just a few minutes. But I'm going to pull Gus's picks up so everybody can uh, get their, their betting line straight for this NFL Sunday. And he's going first with the Kansas City-Pittsburgh game. Um, he has Kansas City plus five and a half over Pittsburgh. Um, he's going to go with the New York Jets minus. 2.5 over Miami, Washington minus five and a half over Indianapolis, Minnesota plus, uh, shoot, just a half, <laughs> a half a point over Green Bay, Carolina plus five and a half um, over Atlanta. So again, uh, one more time, that's Kansas City plus five and a half over Pittsburgh, New York, Jets, uh, Minus two and a half over Miami, Washington, minus five and a half over Indianapolis, Minnesota, plus a half a point over Green Bay. So that's basically a pick em game, and he's uh, gone with Minnesota that one. Um, and Carolina, plus five and a half over the Atlanta Falcons. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, this situation. And let me welcome the uh, homie Fred Purdue onto the line as well. Fred, what's going on, good brother? What's going on, man? Uh, nothing much, man. I, your man, B. Austin, I don't know where the hell he is, so, you know, thanks Uh-oh, for calling in, covering for him for a little while. Um, no, I was just about to get into this, and I don't know how much you've been paying attention to this whole tennis thing um, with Serena Williams at the U.S. Oh, Open last week. 
it's been a it's been like a, a polarizing story in the sports world because you have some people I mean and it seems like these days, man, the same people are on the opposite ends of every argument and, and as we get into the conversation I think people are gonna recognize who those people are. But um uh Serena lost the match to uh up and comer Naomi Osaka from Japan. Um her mom's Japanese and her dad is Haitian. She don't like she don't allow you to to not put that part in there cuz a lot of people try to just make her Japanese. Um so at the as the match was winding down, you know, Serena was she had a deficit to overcome. Um but she got into some things with the umpire. The umpire first gave her, you know, he talked to her about being coached and you know, I don't know if you know Tennis rules or not, not you, Phil. I'm talking to the to the audience out there. You know, you're not allowed to be coached during the game. Um, Serena had a, a big argument with the um, with their umpire and telling him that she's not being coached and he's accusing her of a cheater. And she's never cheated in her life. Um, later on, after that, came a racket smash. And 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 then even even later after that, there you know was some more jawing back and forth between Serena and the chair umpire when he ended up taking a point. Um, she called him a thief. She tried to make him apologize. There was just a whole lot going on, and there's been conversations surrounding this all week because Serena, while she was arguing for it, kind of took the the stance of um, you know dude being sexist in his his judgments and in his calls. Um, Some people thought she was crying wolf on that. Um, Other people took her back on that. Like, what were your thoughts when this whole thing went down? Like, what do you think Serena's role was in this whole thing? What do you think the chair umpire's role was? All in all, we know what they did. Um, And and that was kind of ruin Naomi Osaka's moment. You know, she just finished beating her idol her absolute idol and Serena Williams. But, you know, she basically said she even had to turn away while Serena was arguing with the umpire because she just didn't want to, you know, that energy. She didn't want to see that. So what, what were your thoughts surrounding this whole debacle this week? Well, for when I, I saw everything, I saw the, the her Serena's coach. He was doing a little bit of coaching. He even admitted he kind of did he admitted coaching. It. He admitted, but at the same time, he said that she couldn't see him. And, I mean, you could tell there was something. It may have been something going on. May may have not been going on. But for me, it is a double standard. And pretty much any sports you really look at, especially a a single sport like a like a, a golf or a tennis where it's it's just you and you, essentially. You can't blame anyone else. There in, in tennis for men, men can do a little bit of some things that you normally would. Ne- you can argue with the umpires. You can, you can do some other things that women can't normally do. When you see when you see a female athlete, you know, going back and forth with a ref, it's looked at as being disrespectful. But for a male mm-hmm. athlete, he can go back and forth, and he's just pleading his case. So I, I do agree with Serena a little bit, and she's an emotional person. She's also when it comes, most athletes are emotional. It's just the way it is. You're a competitor. She's frustrated. She sees what's going on. She sees what she sees the double standard. She sees she's being done wrong. 
and she decided to say something about it. I mean, I, I kind of found I found it quite funny for a while. It was like how she was just, she seemed like she was egging him on a little bit, and he finally bit. Yeah, good point. And and I get what she was saying also, and I get what you're saying, Fred, and, and the stance that a lot of people are taking, you know, in the male versus female thing. But at the same time, um, you know, people, especially with this particular chair umpire, um, he's taking points from from male tennis players as well for the same kind of stuff. So in this case, like, you know, and, and it wasn't just them going back and forth about a call. Like, now, there are some words this week that are that was used by people when they discussed Serena. And, like, it was, it was actually some words being used that I was kind of ashamed to agree with. Now, listen to what she was telling him. She was, you know, saying, you, you need to apologize to me. And she kept saying, say sorry, say sorry, say sorry. Like, yo, that really sounded like some petulant child entitlement type stuff. And I'm a Serena fan. Yeah. What'd you say, B? I said she's entitled, she's privileged, and as 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 a black woman, it's sort of sad that her whole tirade and petulant child act is taking away from the Haitian Japanese descended Miss Osaka who actually won and actually competed and is humble and graceful in her victory. I- I'm disgusted by Serena's actions. I just have to be honest. Yeah. Cause I, I and I didn't want the, the problem was be like the, some of the people who were saying this, they were people who want to disagree and have something to say about Serena, no matter what the situation situation so it means you have to agree with people like that sometimes but you know here you know what we pledge and what we vowed to do was to keep it 100 every time just the just the actual words that she was saying to do like we talk about white privilege a lot on this show and she you know if i close my eyes and listen to this exchange i would think that serena was a white woman just trying to tell somebody of a, you know a privileged white woman trying to tell somebody of another ethnicity, you know what you need to do to make me feel better. You need to apologize. Well, you I need think, to do that. You need to do that. I, I didn't really like looked, where Serena was going with that. And then she just started throwing things out there that would make you think she is kind of crying wolf in this situation. She just all of a sudden said, you know, I'm a mother, I have a daughter, and I'm here fighting for women's rights. And Serena, you're here playing a, a tennis match, like. But we're doing this because we know our community. We're all going to jump on board with that. And Serena yeah. and Venus, no wait, hold up, B. Serena and Venus, no doubt, have taken the brunt of a lot of unfairness throughout their careers, um, whether it be sexism, racism, um, or whatever. But I, I just feel in this situation, I think it went way farther than it needed to go, and and. Like I said, reluctantly, because I know this wasn't going to be a popular stance. And you know how the black people are when you don't all agree. <laughs> you know the kind of stuff they're going to call you. But I really do think that it's, this was, you know, Serena's fault this time. I, I, I totally 100% agree with you, Dev. And I think that she does subscribe 
to I, I put it this way. I don't think Serena any longer identifies with the culture that so vehemently likes to say that she represents them anyway. So I'm not surprised to see her act like a petulant, entitled, privileged child and bring up things that aren't necessarily germane to what happened because that's not truly what she identifies with anymore. And, again, I'm most sad because there's another woman of color who won who's really in in, in in performance is grown, but in a lot of ways it is is a is junior to Serena, a child, if you will, and she's you know doing amazing things on the circuit. But here we go with the attention grabber, with the the standard routine of Serena, you know, throwing a temper tantrum. And and, and you're right, historically speaking, she has fought through a lot of adversity, but. I think she's always used to being in that position. So it's almost like it's a default position for her to fall back on. Oh, here we go. Oppress Serena, oppress Serena, because she's used to it. So that's her default. And in this case, nah, you were wrong. You got called out for it. And your coach admitted that he did it regardless of what everyone else does. You got caught in the wrong, yo, I'm 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 like yo, you're 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 wrong on this one, man. You're wrong on this one. So I agree. Entitled, privileged, serene. Yeah, I, I just don't like the language of she's using because you know we can't complain about what other people do. You know, if we're gonna be doing and condoning the same thing, you know what I'm saying? And and it really, you know, it was really a bad look. It was like a, you know, I mean, granted, had the had the point not been taken, they let the match go. Like, Serena had a deficit that probably wouldn't have been overcome. However, if she did, it would have been one of the greatest comebacks that we've, you know, ever been privy to witness. Um, nothing really told you that the momentum was swinging in that direction. Um, so you start to look at it as being a bit of a, of a sore loser at the time. And and everybody should know from from every single and, and even in this, like we still we defend Serena Williams all the time. I was defending Serena Williams on page day because somebody, like I said, somebody came there saying things that I didn't necessarily disagree with, but I just didn't like the venom with which he was saying. They're like, why do you have to disrespect Serena to tell us like, okay, she was acting a little entitled, like this dude called her uh, an entitled something pig. Come on, dude, and you know who it is. Same same person who who comes on there and name calling this his shtick um, every single time. But yeah, I just didn't think that you had to, um, you know, had to be disrespectful when talking about it, even if you took that position on the situation. Um. Yeah. So. So. I don't know. I don't know, Fred. You. Uh, for me, like I said, for me, when I look at an athlete, I, I look at the how athletes are frustrated and they get they get calls. I mean, calls happen both ways. 
I don't like how she reacted. I don't like how she, like you said, went in on the ump. Is there just, you know how you stick it to a, a, a ump that may get you, you know? You, you, blow them, you blow the opponent out. You come back. You do whatever you have to do. I've seen it from – I mean, you see a lot of the same behaviors from guys like LeBron and, and uh, Tom Brady, my guy. He goes out and he yells, he yells, he yells at the all the time. So, I mean, for me, for me, I just – when I look at that kind of thing, it, it her at, her way of going about it wasn't great, but I understand her frustration. And as far as how people, uh, what people, the name calling and things like that, you 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 know you're supposed to expect that at some point, uh, especially in the in the climate that we are in now. Yeah. So I I, I mean that's that's. That's where I am with it. Serena, Serena the entitled, Serena the privileged, uh, rears her head. In this case, we know historically what what her, uh, both her and Venus have overcome, have fought, have you know dealt with. But at the end of the day, that's not what this is. Um, so you have some folks that are you know going to give them her the benefit of the doubt, or are going to label this as something that it wasn't. I think as you as you mentioned that but to me this was this was ugly and I'm just mad that it takes away from another woman's shine, uh especially a woman of color, young coming up, doing her thing. So salute to Miss Osaka. Uh I mean she did her thing. Me, I didn't like I, I I I have no problem with arguing your case to a, a chair umpire. Like I said, I just didn't like where it went. Like let's keep talking about you know, the point and why you were getting the point taken or why you didn't like it. Like, I'm cool with all of that. But, you know, we, with the, the say sorry multiple times and you're a thief yeah, she for taking like a little point, kid. it just got she dramatic did. for me. It got a little dramatic for me for somebody, you know, who roots for Serena. But wait, we have a um, uh, somebody on the line who is a tennis expert actually he wrote uh, a column for warroomsports.com yesterday about this very situation um let me get him on the line now we got jason campbell calling in jason what's going on good brother you're in the war room what up, Jay? no problem Thank- appreciate you having me yeah so you know that was a really good uh piece that you you wrote about the situation um, and I'm sure some of the stuff that you probably heard just now that you, you might disagree with. What were your thoughts on the entire situation with Serena and the Chief Empire? I'm not a, I'm not one I'm not a person for that life confrontation anyway, so it's always my preference and always my hope that she keeps her cool on court, but I think people are looking at this very uh very short sightedly, you know what I mean? This is this is a place where Serena j- just started getting support within the last three years. Before any time that somebody was playing her, they were the underdog. They were the one that got the crowd support, even though she was playing in America. So this has always been a very sensitive place for Serena. Um, and to understand it, you go have to you have to go back and look at the history of it. The reason why Hawkeye challenges exist at period across the spectrum of tennis is because of Serena's the way she was cheated at the 2004 quarterfinal against Jennifer Capriotti. During the match, Capriotti didn't even say those calls were bad. She said, well, I deserve luck, too. 
So wow. Serena's been cheated at the U.S. Open going back at least 14 years. So now you're having her competing for history, and she has this debacle where she doesn't even see the, the, coaching, the coaching happen. She doesn't know what's going on. She's never even got a coaching violation ever. She's never even had coaching when, it was, when it's legal at non-Grand Slam tournaments on the WTA Tour. So to have somebody say, hey, you got a coaching violation, all she saw was thumbs up when she looked at her, her box or whatever. And mind you, she's half the football field away from her coaching box, so she really doesn't even see what's going on. So Carlos Ramos, instead of explaining it, he just pretty much smoothed it over. And when she said, hey, I know you don't know that I don't cheat, but, you know, I'm not a cheater, so this is what it is, and I, I, I'm just letting you know that I would never do that. So instead, he just kind of plays it off like it was nothing, doesn't explain to her, hey, I saw his hands do this, you know, explain it to your box, I just don't, you know, just this is a warning, just whatever. Instead of doing that, he made it a uh, an actual warning on the scoreboard in terms of she did anything else is the automatic point. And instead of explaining that to her, so when she cracks her racket, as most tennis players do when they're frustrated, she was letting her nerves get the best of her, she's up a break and she loses that break, so she's frustrated and now she cracks her racket. Instead of him explaining, hey, because of the coaching violation, I have to give you a point penalty, he just let her feel as though he cheated her. Instead of explaining it and trying to do what he's supposed to do as an officiator of the game to say, hey, this is what happened. It's, it's you know, explain it smooth it over, you lose a point, try to, you know, get back in the match and just leave it alone. He was just ignoring her pretty much. And she said, you owe me an apology. He wasn't, he wasn't, he did, never took a chance to say, hey, or, or try to defuse the situation. He was just letting it build and build and build. And when she called him a thief, he docked her a whole point. And I feel like players have actually used profanity. Serena never cussed at him. All she wanted was him to apologize for, for questioning her integrity. And I think you have to look at it holistically. She ne- she's never gotten a coaching violation, so she doesn't even know what that entails. She doesn't know if she has to pay a fine at the end of the, the match or what. It just never happened. And so I, I feel like as an officiator, your job is to – communicate effectively and efficiently is only two people that you're answering to. It's not like a, it's not like an NFL game where you have 11 people from both sides trying to come and talk to you, or you have two basketball teams trying to talk to you during the game. It's just two people. You have to make sure that they know what's going on at all times. And I, I just feel like so my, my question is this though, like, how, like how do you get that across to somebody who's, you know, obviously upset you know, because at some point there was still discourse going on between the two of them, but she kept repeating, "You need to apologize to me." Like as an right. as a chair umpire, right. how do you? At some point, I think we need to move. You know, we would have to move on from that sentence because I'm, you know, I'm I'm not going to apologize. But he, but, but you if, know, if time, you but. are seemingly ignoring a player and instead of explaining what happened, when he mm. was like, "I'm not going to apologize," and instead of him saying, "You know, I'm not going to apologize because he actually did it," you need to talk to your coach. He just made it seem like she received she received coaching and that she was benefiting from that coaching, and that bothers her because again you're dealing with somebody who's been really killed for their body, their attire. If she wears a pair of shorts, her body's going to look different than another tennis player wearing shorts, and right. so she has to be careful with what she wears, how she reacts at all times. So she's under constant scrutiny. Now you're accusing her of cheating, and this is the one thing that she's never been accused of doing, and you're doing it at a Grand Slam final when you have over 3 million people watching, I think that anybody would, would be offended that the character was called into question in such a way, especially if that's something that you would never do or have never done. So my question is this. So I defer I just to you, like did, I defer I to you like on this as a, as a tennis expert. Why is it that, you know, players are punished for 
you know, what their coach might be doing on the sideline. Like, why can't the coach be removed or it, something as a warning for them to know? Right, right. You know, what they, because she had no idea what he was doing. Point. He actually admitted to it. But, like, why do they get punished for what the coach is doing? Exactly. And I think the, the problem with that is it's very selective. Players and their coaches, uh, players receive coaching from their coaches all the time. You have tennis players like Djokovic and Nadal and Federer that are always look at their box and communicate. Most, most times they do it in their native tongue. So sometimes they luck out when the umpire does not know what's being said. So you don't know if that's coaching or you're just complaining, you're just complaining to your box. So with him seeing those those signals that he gave, he just assumed I can just I can say that this is coaching because these hand signals are pretty clear to me. He saw it, she didn't. So instead of him, it, it's very it's a it's a selective thing, you know. It's it's very selective. You don't know what somebody's saying if when they're speaking uh, Croatian, or you don't know what they're saying they're speaking German. But you understand hand signals, so I can just I can go with that. And I think she just it was just an unlucky situation that the umpire did not care to defuse by. Uh, trying to explain it, you know, sometimes they can get down from their chair and say, hey, look, this is what happened. I'm going to explain it to you because I don't want this to become a huge deal. And instead of doing that, and I mean, umpires pretty much are in rotation of all the matches that they, they officiate. So players know these umpires by first name. They know, like if they say, oh, Allison Hughes is going to be officiating your match. They're like, okay, yeah, she's a very stickler. She's not very, she's, she, she's very by the book. Or if you have Cater Nooney, who was very, very emotionally intelligent, and he could say, you know what, this situation is a little bit different. I'm going to handle it that, uh, accordingly. So players know these umpires just like the umpires know the players. These umpires know Serena doesn't get coaching. They, she never even signs up for it. And you have to sign up for it with you, the umpire so they can keep an eye on it. So they know who her coach is, and they know that she never even communicates with her box like that. So I think that was just a situation where she was – standing up for herself, and the umpire just wasn't comfortable with it or didn't like it or didn't care for it. And it just felt very sexist and, and misogynistic and everything else along the lines of that. And I know that she was being uh, very adamant about wanting an apology, but she's she's owed that by tennis and much more. This is the same family that was ridiculed because they didn't play juniors, and here she is playing until she'll be 37 or in a week or so. And yes. that's that's a benefit that she she's still playing. So I think tennis just owes her and her family apology for all the all the hell that they've been put through, especially from Indian Wells being booed and called the N word and being questioned about her integrity, whether her and Venus decide who's going to win a match at the uh before the match even starts. So things like that have been accumulated and I think looking at this very one or short sightedly and very it it's it, it's irresponsible, honestly. You can't look at this one situation and say, oh, she's being childish without looking at the history that her and her family have endured at the hands of tennis. Oh, no, that's because that, we, we definitely acknowledged, you know, what that was. Um, and, you know, how someone could think that, that it is a, a short-sighted look at everything. Um, I'm just not really – she is a, a vet, so she knows everything about the game. She knows the backlash that's going to come, and she may care about the she might just care about fighting for herself, which is which is all good. And like I said, I don't mind. Like I think if somebody's doing, you know, if they're wronging you, then you argue to the death. It was just some of the stuff that she was saying to him, which I felt was it was a waste of time in that conversation anyway. That rubbed me the wrong way. The whole repeatedly, you owe me an apology. Like we kind of know this guy is not going to step down here and say, oh, I apologize. And so it's like let's move on from that. And let's seek that apology after the match. Right now, let's just argue about, you know, why we're not 
you know, why you're taking this point or, you know, why right, I right. feel like I, I'm being I cheated right agree. now. Yeah, and, and, and that was my biggest beef with her. I'm like, you know, argue to Absolutely. the death, but let's keep it about, you know, what you're upset about. But, Jason, you know, we, we really appreciate you calling in and giving us a few minutes. Um, oh, no thank problem. you also for, for writing the piece for the website. And if you ever need event of tennis or anything in sports, you have both of those mediums to your, you know, if you need them. You I can write for that. the blog. I call in on Thursday and, and get whatever off your chest you need to, man. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. I appreciate it, man. All right, no doubt. Thanks a lot, man. All right, you have a good one. You too. All right, uh, Jason Campbell, everybody. If you haven't seen, uh, read uh, his piece on the Serena Williams U.S. Open situation, just go to warroomsports.com. It's at the the top of the blog section of the page right now. Um, yeah, so, so it was interesting. Like I said, like you know, I understand exactly what what the brother's saying. It was just certain parts of, the, the, like would be often the, the examples we gave. There was just certain entitlement words in there. And I'm like, yo, argue for what you're arguing about. Forget all of that. You owe me an apology and I'm doing this for women's rights and, and all that. Yo, that's a fight that we fight outside of the match. Right now, you know, if, if even if you were to use for Franny, why don't you take a point from me? Like, I'm cool with all of that kind of stuff. You know, even if you keep that to a control level, but no, you know what I mean? You know, you, you can't look past what they've endured throughout the whole thing, but we, we can't fall into that trap and into those behaviors just because of, you know, the behaviors of other people, you know, we still got to keep it classy at all times. <laughs> all right. So, uh, real quick, um, now I know uh, Fred and I talked about this on quick slants, this week, and if you're a college football fan, make sure you go to the War Room Sports YouTube channel and check out the latest episode of Quick Slants, which is our college football show uh, hosted by Fred Purdue and myself. Um, Texas A&M, B. Austin, has hopped atop the universe. You know, they, they've hopped top Longhorns, Hook'em Horns, as the most valuable program in college football. Now, Texas has long held that distinction. And, you know, we know it's just no matter who's on top of everything, you know, when Miami was on their run, Texas was still the money school. As Alabama's been on their run, Texas was still the money school. Um, When USC was on their run, Texas was still the money school. Uh, But Texas A&M jumps up to most viable in this year's Forbes list. And I'm going to bring the list out right now and tell you exactly how much. And this brings about another conversation that we've had plenty of times on this show. Uh, The Aggies right now, uh, last season, brought in a revenue of $148 million and a profit of $107 million. Um, To bring it into perspective, uh, Texas, who's usually at the top of this list, their revenue was $133 million profit $87 million. Um, You followed up by Michigan, Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, Auburn, LSU, and the Florida Gators to round off the top 10. Um, This 
I mean, besides the fact that, you know, there's finally somebody else at the top of this list, you know what conversation this brings up, B. And, you know, people look at these revenue and look at this profit, and they wonder why these players aren't getting paid. <laughs> like, you can't escape that kind of, that, that kind of talk when, when you're looking at these many millions of dollars in revenue. I'm going to go, go ahead and make uh, a large segment of America quite uh, quite angry. Man, salute to uh, salute to slave owners, slavers, plantations everywhere, because uh, the benefit of that is the global world sports scene. Uh, you know, again, 72, I think 72 to 74% of the NFL is uh, of African descent uh, or black. Uh, I'm not quite sure of that percentage of ethnic makeup in NCAA football, but I'm pretty sure it's above 50% black uh, while we're still only 12 to 15% of the population in the country. Um, man, salute to, uh, to slavery and slave owners everywhere as uh, the wealth distribution gap continues to grow and athletics particularly college athletics is nothing more than a testament and testimony to that fact because these black players and white and other ethnicities, none of that money as it comes into these colleges and universities. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? (laughs) Uh, You know, there's so many different ways that, that, that students and athletes could benefit from these revenue streams. Um, you know, I've I've gone on record at saying, hey, listen, you don't have to pay uh, a 17, 19, 20, 21, 22-year-old in actual cash and sex. You could set up health benefits. You could set up, you know, a trust account that they couldn't access until they were 30. You could do any number of things that would make them a little bit or a lot of bit more responsible with economic and financial benefit from them playing at these colleges and universities where their talent and ability brings the, the, the institution uh, economic and financial value and benefit. But no, no, that's not the exploitative way of the great America. And, and some will still argue that these young men and women, but mainly men, receive a free education. But we know that is often a joke in a lot of cases. So, I, you know, I mean, hey, there, this there's, is value, there's value in that B to the people who value it. But there, these there dudes aren't go. going to school for an education. You know what I'm saying? When, shoot, when, when the semester's up, when football's up for the semester, these dudes will never show up to a class again. And that's basketball and football. So, yeah. I mean, it, it, so, so I don't want to dismiss it like it, like it has no value because I think there is a lot of value to that. And I think people should value it, but we can't force people to put a value on education. Um, But like we've always talked about, like, I don't, I'm not a proponent of just straight up giving college kids a check. Now we've talked about solutions in the past on the show. Right, right. Yeah. Because I know you're with me because you, you help craft some of these solutions that we were talking about. Like, Maybe setting these dudes up with a trust and they can't touch it until either they graduate or they're gone from the program. Um, You can use it as a teaching tool, 
like a financial education tool. Like, no, you're not going now, to. You know, you cannot get. You're getting kids in trouble doing that. Now. You cannot yeah. do no. that because you're in, you're empowering young lives with money, money knowledge. <laughs> yeah. no, no, but it, yeah. you're getting. You're, you're making not going to you right. now. They're not going to. So. But yeah, that's a, you know what B said is good. Like they could use it as a teaching tool, and you know, just not. I'm not going to just give this to you. I taught you all about it, and when you're done with the program or you graduate, and we're going to send you out into the world with a little bit of a head start from you know whatever change you made. And and another big problem, a big you know problem that no one ever had a solution to is like, how do you dole it out? Because some guys are not every, more not every school is built the same. Not every right. school is built and, the same. Not every school is built the same, but not every player on your roster is built the same either. Because <laughs> if I'm a superstar Heisman candidate, I'd be damned if you given the seventy fifth man on the roster the same stipend or the same uh trust that you're giving me. You know what I'm saying? So and, and it's that's a lot where of becomes like everybody's just saying pay him, pay him, pay him, but nobody's coming up with a, a viable solution to actually get that done. It's, you know, one of the one of the saddest one of the saddest things that that I see in all of this is, you know, you have players of various economic <laughs> means, but I think having all been through, you know, undergrad and college, like it, it it's tough, right? So you have players that don't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of that come up with pretty creative ways to bridge their value and and try and uh and grab a buck or two here and there. So I'm 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 brought to a place where I recall how um at Ohio State, um what's the wide receiver dude? He ain't he ain't ish, but he, he started oh, out as a terrific Prior, right? Prior to, I think he made like two grand selling autographs and ended up suspended for. Yeah, you five can't, you're not in control of your own name and likeness now. This is yeah. that's where college football and college athletics is odd because you're not in control of any of this. Right, and uh, and that's where yeah. I really draw the line, Fred. Um, and and I told you this before, like when it comes to jersey sales and it comes to having your likeness on a video game, that's where I draw the line. Like, those dudes should have a check. You know what I'm saying? If you're if you're a star player and your jersey is selling off the hook out of the school store, out of the bookstore, wherever you sell jerseys on your campus, you know what I'm saying? You got to walk by windows every day with $10 in your pockets from the little stipend that they're giving you. But yeah. you see, you know, you're uh, a mannequin in the window with your jersey on, like I can understand how that. But, is, well, hold on, real, very, real very quick. Unfair. Yeah, before before you continue, I'm thinking, okay, Terrell Pryor was like they they tried to roof my man and a couple other players, and then we look at what just happened with the head coach there for ignoring domestic violence and basically not acknowledging it, and he only gets three he games gets, suspension. Gets a slap like, on yeah. the wrist. So, Three games in the beginning of the season when you're not even really playing anybody. When you're not playing anybody. Oh, twisted. No, I mean, they pretty much did lose the real prior, though. Because remember, he had to – 
he ended up, you know, going to the supplemental draft. He didn't even really get his NFL he was draft. Also receiving some other things too. So for for me, <laughs> that the but. tattoos were the least of the of the worries there at Ohio State. Uh, that was the main story, but there were some other things going on there. But yeah, I get what you're saying. Wait, 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 but that's wait, all about that's some all other things going on. It's all about control, though, because what does like what does I, I'm not saying everybody should just go out and cheat the rules, but like at the end of the day, you getting money on the side, however you got to get it, like that's not making you play better. So you know, it's not really cheating. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it's it's, it's the the integrity of the game. You know the words they use integrity of the yeah. game and impermissible benefits. Ohio State can provide more than, than I don't know. Keep using Scott them big words. I'm going to take it at disrespect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In, integrity, know, in, integrity like uh, uh, grossing $133 million in one season and the people everybody came to watch don't get none of that. Yeah, that's <laughs> That's integrity. And for, for me, what I also for me when I look at how the one of the solutions I always said simply if you just like the Austin's been saying, put it in, in some kind of a trust and yeah. require athletes to have to take financial courses. That way they can manage it. Otherwise they can't, and they have to graduate to access it. If you go to the NFL yeah. early, you forfeit this. I mean that I don't, that requires. I don't know if you can make graduation a requirement, though, because the graduation rates at a lot of these big programs, nah, I, I don't know. If you that. And, 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 see, that. I'll leave it at see, that. I, I agree with you up into those parameters because I don't think you should forfeit it either just because you go to the NFL. If you go to the NFL, that means you were most likely one of the biggest drivers of this money. So why do I not get a piece just because I'm going – where you knew I, I was going, NFL. why you brought me NFL. here in the first place. I'll say if you decide to leave school early, that's when you decide you you forfeit NFL or no NFL. At least if you, if, you, if you go and get your degree, because most of the guys that actually don't make it to the NFL, um, if they leave early and they don't make it, cool. But if you somehow get that degree and you stay at least, three years, four years, it encourages you to make that graduation rate. That's that incentive to make that graduation rate go up. Both sides win, essentially. That's a couple bucks out of out of a big-name program's pocket when, when you have um, – when guys are getting their degrees. Now, there's ha- there's some know, form but... of there's, – there's, no solution works for the ones that are controlling the money. Um if you, if you financially empower somebody, it's over with because then now you're going to have the issue of of guys knowing how to negotiate their own contracts because that means you're going to have uh, unions amongst players, and we definitely don't want that in in college athletics. Yeah. Uh, I was about to go to Tobias on the phone line, but I think he hung up. Tobias, if, you, if you're out there, call back in. Um, real quick. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the boxing matches from from this week and the one that's coming up, but we we actually not going to have time to do that. So real quick, um, you know, we'll, we'll just talk about the Garcia Porter joint next week. We'll just be late with it. But um, the Canelo Triple G 
Part two is coming up this Saturday since we can't uh, engage in an in-depth conversation because we ran over with some unexpected stuff. I just want you guys to give me a pick who's going to win this rematch. That's not all talk uh, at once, fellas. I'll, I'll take Triple G in this one. Um, for, to me, and you guys are more of the, uh, the boxing guys than I am, but uh, for me, when I look at the past fights, pretty good fights. Um, but for me, I'll take him. Okay. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people think that Triple G should have won the first time when they called it a, a split draw. Um, there's a lot of people, if you read up, say, yeah, I think he got uh, robbed in the first one. Um, I, I think Camelo is the more skilled boxer. Um I think in this fight, to be a little more successful, you know, he, he's going to have to mix in a little more uh, body punching. <laughs> and this, he's going to have to go to the body a little bit more and, and switch it up a little bit. Um, but And I don't know if this is just a little bit biased because I'm kind of a Canelo fan, but I'm going to go with Canelo and, uh, and a decision in this one. Um, either way, I think it's going to set up a third fight because you're going to have that, that rubber match out there. You're going to have the draw. You're going to have somebody win. Um, even in a third fight, you're not going to be able to get uh, a definitive answer to who's really the winner because if the other boxer wins in the third fight, then you're still back at square one because of the draw in the first place. But I'm going to go with Canelo on this one. B. Austin, you got something real quick? Hey, I guess be awesome. I went away from boxing. Uh, I hello. Hello. <laughs> All right, so um, let me do a quick stat of the week, and I actually have two of them. I couldn't choose which one, so I just did both of them. Um, first one is a little tidbit that I picked up while I was watching the Cleveland Browns um, not take every chance that the Steelers tried to give them to win that game on Sunday. Do uh, you guys know? Who, since 1999, um, who has the most touchdown passes at First Energy Stadium in Cleveland since 1999? Do you guys know the answer to that? Which quarterback has the most touchdown passes? Since 1999? Uh, ben Roethlisberger? Ben, ben Roethlisberger? <laughs> See, Fred is clowning. Fred is clowning. <laughs> But that answer is absolutely correct. <laughs> and I sat there and, and just hung my head when they said that because I'm like, this is more Cleveland being Cleveland. Like, their statistics are even embarrassing. Since 1999, the person who has thrown the most touchdowns in their stadium is an opposing player who comes there once a year. <laughs> Come on, Cleveland. Ben Roethlisberger has 11 touchdowns at this stadium since 1999, and uh, Derek Anderson has 10. Tim Couch has nine. Would those That's 10 crazy. for Derek Anderson be in the year that they won 10 games? I think that was, I was like about to say three ish or four ish, and they still missed the playoffs. It had to be in one. Year. <laughs> it had to be in one year. They did it all in one year. But the, but this is the sad thing. About it. <laughs> this, the sad part about it is it shows you because we always see 
the graphic with how many quarterbacks the Cleveland Browns have, have, have had since 1999 or something like that. And it's something crazy. Like if you add Tyrod Taylor to the mix and, and Baker Mayfield will get a start this year, whether it's because of performance or Tyrod Taylor killing himself running all around the field. Like, I think Baker Mayfield was going to end up making like 24, 25 quarterbacks starting. So they got enough quarterbacks to fill the league almost since 99. Right. So it's crazy that an opposing player would have, what would have been even more crazy if it was somebody who wasn't even in their division. I would have just gave up and never watched the Browns game again. Yeah. But um, at least he's in the division. All right. Our second one, more of an embarrassing stat for another quarterback. Um, this is about touchdown passes since Carson Wentz tore his ACL <laughs> in week 14 last season. So since after he tore his ACL, Carson Wentz has one touchdown pass. Now you guys know, you know, because he stayed in for another play and threw a touchdown pass to Alshon Jeffrey on a torn ACL an MCL. So since that time, Carson Wentz has one touchdown pass. Trey Burton, the tight end, has one touchdown pass. Really special in the Super Bowl. Yes, your man Dak Prescott has one touchdown pass since we since Carson Wentz tore his knee. Dak I saw Prescott that. And has I, the same I amount of touchdown passes as Trey that. Burton. Yo, a dude. Uh, look, a dude with a torn ACL and MCL, a tight end, both have. The same amount of touchdown passes since that time as a quarterback that many Yo. before that time was saying better. He was better than Carson Wentz. Wasn't wasn't he I, I have a savior? I consider that. myself I consider myself a pretty good evaluator of talent. I'm also an Eagles fan, so I'm biased. And I hate on Dak because he's a cowboy. But I really didn't think that he was as bad as my hate. Justify like I thought he was going to be anywhere from okay to good, but you know I what? Be, you might have. I talked you off the ledge with that. You were killing that, <laughs> saying about how much a bum he was and was going to be. I, I blame it on myself. Like I talked you off the no. ledge with it, you know, and I kind of made sense. But now it's looking like I'm wrong. This dude might be RG3. No, 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 no. You got to trust your eyes. You got to trust your eyes. <laughs> Tell no. me this. If, when you're evaluating a quarterback, when you're evaluating a quarterback, if let's just say said quarterback has the ability to hand it off to one of the best backs in the league and say on first down, they're getting a thousand. No, I'm sorry, 1,100 yards on first down. And you're getting second and two, second and three, second and four on a consistent basis. Is he good? Good. Hold on, Fred. Fred, I know where you're. I know where you're going with it, and that's a part of the problem. Like when you look at what he faces, people know that Ezekiel Elliott is the engine. Zach can't make plays. He can't make plays in single coverage. It's not like he's facing exotic coverages and 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 crazy. Yo, he's not good at all, man. And I'm afraid that there's not much ceiling for improvement. I just and think he's, he's a nice guy. The reason I defended that, though. There's no Jason Witten to bail him out anymore. 
There's no more Jason Witten to bail you out on those short little dump offs. Des Bryant isn't going to bail you out anymore when you just can throw it up and do what he he can do what he does really well. Catch 50-50 balls. Even if he can't separate on a simple slant, we know he can if you throw it up to him, he's going to he's got a chance to come down with it. You're throwing to Cole Beasley, Terrence Williams, and and Allen Hearns. Yo, man, but Dak in his rookie season, man. Like the reason I started reluctantly giving him props is because you know, it seemed like he was a third down killer. You know what I'm saying? Like when when I when I would sit there and think like, okay, he can't possibly be good. Like he would always get out of situations and always keep drives going. I did see a little bit of a chink in his armor that season when ironically they faced the Eagles because the Eagles defense put pressure on him that he hadn't seen all season. And he started to, you know, he started to make mistakes that we didn't see because you can't front. We didn't see Dak make a lot of mistakes in his rookie season. He started making mistakes that we hadn't seen that whole season. But the Eagles that game offensively were playing at such a level with the turnovers and everything. They kept giving him chances to to get back to what he was doing earlier in his rookie season, and he ended up doing that, and they ended up winning that game. But that was the first time that I saw weaknesses in Dak. And then the whole second season, like, I saw that every week. <laughs> and now it's only one game in, and, you know, his weaponry is not that great. But so, at this point, you know, Carolina, he should be the Carolina one making game. the weaponry. You're supposed to be good enough that, to make these dudes around you a little better. That Carolina game, I watched the all-22 tape on that, and – you you can blame the talent of his supporting cast, but he had five throws that had nothing to do with the defense. It was just him being trapped, where he made the throws. I'm like, no. I'm like, no. White people are going to say black guys can't play quarterback because of you, yo. All right. Let me know. That's the thing. We, we got to I, back I, on the line. Let me get him before. Okay. Before he gets snatched off again, Tobias, what's going on, good brother? You in the war room? Man, what's going on, fellas? Roll damn tide, fellas. Roll damn tide. Hey, yeah, we have a colonizer walking to the office real quick. So I had to take care of that, you know. Uh, <laughs> here's the thing. A couple of quick things. First, Serena lost me. She started talking about sexism. Here's the thing. Also, people are missing. Osaka was going Hiroshima on her ass. She was getting smoked anyway. Uh, and before everybody starts saying black girl magical, her, yes, she's part black, but remember, she's not American black. And they grew up in America. So there's a difference before y'all want her to be social justice. She didn't have those same experiences. Just remember that now. It's not a knock on her because she couldn't choose where she lived at. But also with Serena, when she starts talking about sexism, not race. Guess what? You lost me because feminists ain't nothing for white women anyway. Because you know, my lady had a job where she, she had a master's degree, making a same, making a sex. She sounded like yeah. you know, she sounded like black girls were always afforded these privileges or something. She really sounded a little weird to me. Yeah, though. my bad. Go ahead. Yeah, and like I say, like y'all talk about NCA. My lady's to play ball at San Diego State. She said the stipend they got pretty much went to the rent. So you pretty much ain't got no money anyway. <laughs> so, uh, 
And those programs are actually paying for all these other programs as well. I did equestrian teams, you know, the swim teams. You know, exactly. these leagues ain't making no money. So so <laughs> I say just let the people make their money off of likenesses like autographs, jerseys, video games, so you don't have to go to that whole title line equality BS. If you're smart, right. you do I mean, what, Four, what good old Leonard Fournette did. Uh, he decided to make a T-shirt company but put everything in his his parents managed it so he wouldn't get in trouble for making money for, on his own. Because, yep. you know, you can't have a job in, in the NCAA. They don't let you do anything. They control your whole life for four years. Just saying. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, and y'all – Hey, y'all talk about that press guy. Well, after one game, all these Tampa fans want Jameis Winston going for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Hell, I think some of them will take Nathan Peterman right now, the way they hate him. But hey, Jameis, why, uh, why do why do people keep falling for that though? I don't yo, know. Yo, yo, like the yeah. people in Tampa, the people in Tampa doesn't know how the Fitz magic ends. Like they don't know how to. They story. hate Jameis. A lot of hate James. You got to to believe Fitzpatrick for a fourth time. You got to hate Fitzpatrick is the greatest magician ever. Listen, I hope you're not falling for it, Tobias. Fitzpatrick will turn back into a pumpkin (laughs) in in six months. He will be Nathan Peterman. Six, trust me. Six Hell. months. You're giving them. You're giving them six. I'm giving them. I'm giving him a week. Hey, hey. Honestly, I I took the Eagles to the point. I don't. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> you're stupid, man. I don't even know if we're gonna ever see Nathan, Nathan Peterman again. Like he Dude. didn't. He didn't crap the bed on both of his opportunities, man. But what, what kills is like Eric Bisley like, to me, man. Hey, Bucks fans. A lot of them hate Jameis. Willie will tell you. A lot of them hate him. And it's like every. It's like. Uh, and I asked someone. Now, one Dirk Cutter ain't calling the plays. Some old new coordinator is calling the plays. But I asked one guy. And I said, football's a team sport, right? He said, yeah. Name me a quarterback who would have made the playoffs, including Aaron Rodgers, were having a bottom five rushing attack in the worst defense of football who gave up three plays, 75 yards of Tyrod Taylor uh, at the same time in the same year. It's hard. <laughs> so so, and, uh, and so that's why I'm telling people it's a I'm team sport. I'm raising my now. hand over here, but I, can't, I know you can't see me, but I'm raising my hand over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't look the light skinned people. Go ahead, Fred. Belichick was the coach. So what's up, Fred? <laughs> hey man, I'm just telling you. Hey, my coach got my coach got in Belichick. I trust. I don't know about your team, but in Belichick, I trust. Hey, does anybody think Dirk Cutter's a good coach? Hell no. He failed at Arizona Hell State. No. But but no. here's the thing. Y'all talking about Dak Prescott. Y'all remember when Dak first came out of college in Dallas, I was one of the few people like, nah, I don't see it. He ain't that dude. And because the problem is that Dak Prescott, is, he's pretty much a light-skinned Tyrod Taylor. He's limited. He won't push the ball. He is what he is. He's super conservative because he's scared to make a mistake. But you need all of this for him to be productive. And in an NFL where you can't touch in any receivers, he still can't get 200 yards. So wow. That's a now? great point. That's a great point. And I actually think you're insulting Tyrod because I think Tyrod got more explosion in his play than that. 
Yo, Dak yeah. is trash. Man. Tyrod's not a bad quarterback. I, Dak is just bad. Yeah, Tyrod. Jerry doesn't want him. Tyrod terrible to me too. But, <laughs> but yeah, that's the thing. Tyrod has something with him that you can still put your trust in. You know what I mean? It's different for other people. Like, I look at some of the throws and some of the reads Tyrod, Tyrod makes, and I'm like, yo, what is he doing out there? But Tyrod will go and get it on third down, um, usually with his feet. But you can put your trust in somebody like that because you do know that he's going to leave it all out there no matter how he has to do it. So I can trust a dude like that. Then, you know, especially like I trust Tyrod on a third and long because I know if he doesn't see anything or, or if he doesn't think he can make the throw, he's going to bust his ass to get that first down. Whereas a dude like Dak, like you guys said, he might just pull it down, throw it away on an important third and long just because he doesn't want to be the one to make the mistake. Yep. But Tobias, you should might, know this. Sounds like anybody. somebody we know might be his idol because I know somebody like that. Tobias <laughs> <laughs> might too much. Tobias My like dad hates that. You know, it's crazy. My dad's a Cowboys fan. He never liked that. Because I remember, we saw a lot of him at Michigan State, and I thought he was just a black Tebow, to, to be honest with you. I was just about to go there. Tobias, you see so more you're than anybody. He's in the damn building Dev is basically saying that Dak is a poor man's version of a 10-year Eagles quarterback. <laughs> oh, hey, he, is he more accurate than McNabb, by the way? That'd be a good comparison right there. But uh oh, you know the Charlie Brown and Lucy. Charlie Brown more accurate <laughs> kicking that ball than Donald like, McNair. But. but you know what though, I say this before I roll because I know you got other people. But uh a lot of these people who ride Fitzpatrick now, what they don't get is one, the Bucks team was once scooper scored from a recovery. If they didn't get that, he would have got the same treatment uh they had last year where a quarterback did okay, gave him a lead late and still blew it. Mind you, they still gave up forty points. And I also, say this, what I they don't get. Also, what they don't get, Tobias is um, Ryan Fitzpatrick is trash. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and by the way, guys, I'll say this real quick. If the if the media likes you, they will make excuses for you. Now, Deshaun Watson, ACL, I said, don't crown him so soon. He won't be Dan Marino this quick. But also, Jimmy G went to bed. Oh, he went against a great defense. I thought he was a second coming. I thought he was supposed to take Tom Brady. Guys, guy. you know, so, here's, the, here's the thing about that. You Everybody knows this. You leave the mothership. What yeah. happens? Regardless if you're a coach. <laughs> how many coaches have left Fred the mothership and they all are Fred, yeah, there, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I woke up Fred. You cannot leave the mothership and have success. It doesn't. Well, you got to leave the mothership to get paid. So get your money, little bag boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, because you know it's how they make excuses for him. It's like, dude, unlike the NFL, most defenses are good in the NFL. I don't want to hear these excuses. They crowning this guy as the next great thing, you know. And, and that, and, and that's why I was saying oh, over the past year, they need to start crowning these guys because they had a hot streak of five games. Let them go through the ups and downs and learn. Cause these teams are going to figure them out, and uh, and what they're going to do after that. And, uh, and I just think that they're doing you guys a disservice by crowning them after a couple of good games. No doubt. Got to have something to talk about, man. You got to have somebody to crown and talk about. That's yeah, true. That's true. Hey, you know, you got to help us you gotta have have like tear down. You know, they build you up, tear you down. So if they don't crown you, then they can't rip your crown off. So. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey, and by the way, hey, 
you guys have a great weekend. And that no keep standing toe to the line, baby. With your hand over your heart, baby, because you ain't getting paid <laughs> next year. Peace. Uh, <laughs> is we close to the gun right, line, man. boss? Close to the gun line. That is crazy, man. Um, shout out to to Casey Mack in the War Room Sports Game Time group. He said, um, he said Dak is way better than Quincy Carter. Well, here's my answer to that. How's that everybody on this show? <laughs> that ain't hard to Everybody, everybody on this show bite. is better than Quincy Carter. And I'm actually not joking. <laughs> and I ain't never seen him play. <laughs> I'm better than Quincy Carter. <laughs> All right, so, you know, uh, we're going to talk about what happened while y'all were on the grind. But before we do that, just want to let you guys know um, the usual. You can check out our website at warroomsports.com. Check out everything we're doing there on the site. Um, if you want to talk to us while we're live on the air, you can jump into that uh, JW Philly Realty chat room by going to blogtalkradio.com slash the warroom. If you don't have an account, you can sign up for one. Um, if you don't want to sign up for one, I think you can sign into your Facebook and Twitter account still. Um, but you can go in there where Skyview One is in the chat room holding it down like he does every week. Or you can also call us. Um, the Digital Extreme Tech Hotline uh, will be reopened after we talk about these uh, grind topics. That number is 323-410-0012. Press 1 when prompted, but if you already listen from your phone, just press 1 if you want to talk. And uh, if you're already holding, just hang tight. Give us a few minutes and we will get back. To the hotline. All right, so while y'all were on the grind, it's brought to you by Jimmy's Book, Sports the Book. If you guys are tired of reading the same old sports books with the same list and lots imaginary starting lineups and all kinds of subjective information that people are passing off as facts these days, be sure to pick up your copy of Sports. It's an acronym, so stay with me. Smart people only read the sports. It's a mixture of sports and hip-hop culture will keep you on the edge of your seat. It'll keep you laughing like you're watching a Netflix comedy special or something. Just go to sportsthebook.com or get your copy from our website, warroomsports.com. But wherever you end up getting your copy, don't get it from the bootlegger, but wherever you end up getting it, just make sure you don't miss this movement. All right. While y'all were on the grind this week, several things happened. We're going to talk about them. All right, number one, why you were on the grind? The Washington Mystics were bumped from their own arena while playing in the WNBA Finals. First of all, I live in the Washington, D.C. area. I had no clue until it was already underway that Mystics were in the Finals. I had no clue that the WNBA was still going on. Um, so shame on me. Um uh, I think it's old thing. You get a pass. They've already you get a lost. Pass for that. Yeah, they've already lost uh, to Seattle, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong, y'all, because I'm just flying off the the cuff with this stuff. Um, but I do believe it's already over. I came across some information. You know, people were talking about where they were playing. They were playing at George Mason University in the Eagle Bank Arena down there in Virginia. And I'm thinking to myself, like, well, they play at the, you know, where the Wizards play. They play at the Capital One Arena. So then I look it up, and I see an article that came out before the the final started. And it was basically saying, um, 
basically it was a bunch of BS. Like they were giving you these crazy reasons of why they were playing at George Mason. Uh, one being there's still renovations going on at Capital One Arena. So I'm like, renovation? That ain't true. I, I was like, and then I was like, oh. And I threw up the air quotes, renovations. They are renovating Capital One Arena because they were putting a stage in there for that Drake and Migos concert that's going on tonight. So, <laughs> so they couldn't play their WNBA finals game there last night but they already started building stages for something that's going to sell way more tickets. I get it. Air quotes, y'all. Renovations. I get it. Renovations. How crazy is that, though? You know what I'm saying? You are in the the finals of your sport. This is the arena that you play in. (laughs) You know, you play your home games in all throughout the season. And I guess they're just, first of all, they're just not used to their success because they schedule something during this time, probably thinking that they had no chance to be playing at this particular time. Two, they couldn't even fill the arena that they were, the college arena that they were bumped to. So, you know, the people who run the the Capital One arena are basically like, look, they're our hometown women's team. I guess they love them, but there's no way they're going to sacrifice a date with Drake and Migos and all the money that they can make on a night like that for 67 people to come in here and watch a WNBA finals game. So I get it, but it still seems foul on the surface. Y'all got any thoughts about this before we move on? And these <laughs> young ladies have the nerve, this, and these young ladies I mean, have the nerve to say that they're underpaid. <laughs> Yo, they, there's you no way that they move can move the needle with their asking like Yo, you can't even get that kind of revenue from just ticket sales alone. So where do they think the money is coming from? Everybody makes it sound so easy. You know what I mean? Like, oh, we should be getting, we're professionals. We should be getting paid what the men are getting paid. Like, come on, man. This is not a LeBron makes what most NBA players make in a season. That's not good. <laughs> yeah, but LeBron makes more than what their arena makes in a season. So, yeah. <laughs> in one game. And 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 it's probably he probably makes way more than what their arena makes in the season. I'm talking concessions and everything. So it's like I don't understand how, you know, I don't know. People need to take more econ classes. Um take some more math classes. You know, you can't just say things and and it happen and it just and it's just right. Even though you have people who's who've taken their plight on that, yeah, they're right. They should be getting paid. Come on, man. It sounds. Good. I mean, because first of all, we used to always we used to always talk about how yo athletes get paid way too much money, you know, to play children's games. Like, why? How come teachers don't get paid that much? But the realistic answer to that is they get paid that much is because they generate that kind of money, and we still you know, talk negatively about the the discrepancy between what the owners and the franchises are making versus what the players are making. So it's like, you know, <laughs> much, much, much power, more power to the, to the WNBA people, man. And like I tell everybody, man, go get your money if you can, but I don't think anybody coming off that kind of bag. All right. So your man, Oscar De La Hoya says that he is considering running for president in 2020. Um, 
I don't even think it's necessary for me to read any details of this story. You can just take the headline alone and give your opinions. I mean, I think we're living in a society now that everybody's seeing. Like, first of all, we got the star and executive producer of The Apprentice in the White House right now. So people are like, look, anybody can be president now. People say that to their children. It's no longer just encouragement. <laughs> like, anybody can be president now. I'll Jordan shrug to this one and say Dwayne the Rock Johnson wants to run for president too. So, hey, years ago, uh, before I, I, I think vote LeBron for can make a run at it. It's a popularity. It's like it's like high school um, politics. You know, it was a popularity contest. Once said anything's possible. We've seen it. <laughs> anything's possible. Yo. Anything's possible. Uh, didn't Oscar De La Hoya get caught in a hotel room with pantyhose, high heels, and feathers in his butt? <laughs> Are you saying that's going to have a, a negative effect on his campaign? Nah, I just wanted to bring it up. That might help his campaign. If you look at the guy that's it. in there now, like, he's bulletproof. After seeing the bull job, None of the crazy stuff he's done. Now, anything can go through. Yeah. I mean, Oscar De La Hoya would be popular with Mexican-Americans, and one day we will have a Mexican-American president. I just don't think it's going to be Oscar De La Hoya, so, you know, he could probably chill. Um, <laughs> like, we're getting to a point, like, I don't know, man. It's hard to take people seriously, but I think people just are serious because they look at the current situation and everybody thinks that they can do a better job. But how many times we just, you know, are we going to start a trend? We're just voting celebrities into the office now. <laughs> well, not 2020. LeBron 2024. <laughs> hey, Kim Magic might get in. You never know. Magic might get in once. You never know. Ray J 2028. I, I don't want Magic, Oprah, Oscar, <laughs> LeBron. I, I don't want any of these people <laughs> in the White House. So. You don't want Jay-Z in the White House. Jay been there enough. He, he, <laughs> he will be okay. All right, so um, what else happened this week while we on the grind? Um, a Central Oklahoma player loses his foot. <laughs> I, why did I laugh? My bad. I didn't mean to laugh. In a car accident. That's a special place for you, you know, for that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I I, I didn't think about it until after I did it. Like, yo, why did I just laugh? Like, the dude lost his foot. That's a serious situation. Yeah, you're going to hell. Um, yeah, I mean, I've known that for quite some time now, so but I guess I just reinforced it just now. Um, we'll be able to do the show while we're down there. <laughs> I mean, it seems like we do it from there every week anyway. <laughs> With some of the, the hot takes we got. Um, I'm trying to stall here because I had the details of it, but I can't. Uh, I can't find where I just had the details. Fred, wow, you know anything about this? Checking, I would like to give Fred some homework. Um, okay. Since we Uh-oh. brought up Quincy Carter, and you know when we bring up Quincy Carter, I always bring up. I remember Quincy Carter. And he was Quincy good. Carter in a game was facing a blitz. When he turned his back to the blitz and threw the football up over his head like a grenade and duck. 
And Deb saw it because we were together and embarrassed for all black people everywhere. Yo, he turned his back to the blitz and just threw the ball up over his head like it was a log. Oh, snap. All right, so this um, Central Oklahoma football player lost his foot when he was run over by a train over the weekend. Um, They said his name is Derek Loxident. Why his last name got to be Loxident? Spelled just like accident, but with an L O in the front. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Derek Loxident, 20 years old, he was trying to crawl under a stopped train when the train started moving. He said the train severed his foot, but he was able to flag down a nearby person who took him to a hospital. Um, Fred, I know this is not the level of football that you cover, um, <laughs> but I'm go out on a limb and wonder why Division Two defensive back was trying to crawl under a train. I'm... Your your questions are my questions. When I saw this a, a day or so ago, I, I'm saying to myself, why are you underneath a train in the beginning? You I think. Have no, uh, I mean, it, I think he went out. I think he went out on a limb. Unfortunately, that was yeah. so wrong. That was so wrong on many levels. So many levels. All right, and last but not least, man, Kevin Garnett is suing his accountant <clears throat> over $77 million that he claimed his accountant allowed him to lose to a wealth manager. So Really, Kevin Garnett? Yeah, mm. yeah. he's allowing <laughs> – I mean, he's alleging that his accountant helped the wealth manager steal – $77 million. You write anything is possible. Um, so this federal malpractice lawsuit alleges that this Kentucky-based accountant, uh, Michael Wertheim, uh, enabled Charles Banks IV of Atlanta to defraud him through businesses in which Garnett and Banks shared an interest. Uh, the lawsuit contends that Wertheim possessed actual knowledge that Banks was helping himself to millions of dollars of Kevin Garnett's money, and he did nothing about it. Now, I'm hoping, man, I don't wish this kind of thing on nobody, but I'm hoping that the story is legit, and this is just not Kevin Garnett trying to get out in front of the fact that he's about to announce to the world that he's going to be on the next episode of Broke. Um, BMF. I really hope that that's not the case because Kevin Garnett made a lot of money um, in, during his in, NBA, NBA career, yeah. and it's all seem it's all starting to make sense to me because I'm thinking, with all the money that he made, I mean, I know you know Shaq made a whole lot of money, and he still wants to work. He does his thing on TNT and Shaq is an some other places. But Shaq, but Shaq is funny and Shaq on an, an Emmy award winning show. I'm wondering if it's his money problems that's making Kevin Garnett subject us to the awfulness. That is Area Twenty One, um, a segment on this same show. Man, Area Twenty. No. First of all, like Kevin Garnett no. is terrible. You, if, if the host is terrible, the then the show terrible. doesn't it's have him. a chance. No, 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 Fred, Fred. Because yeah, you get the concept to sit around and bust it up, and it'll be interesting. But Kevin Garnett conceptually, is the show is tremendous, but in practice and actuality, <laughs> yo, it's one of the worst shows. On the air, like it, it is. I can't really handle it. I can't. I can't handle can't. just listening to it. He has no personality. 
Yeah, it's it's bad, man. That show is real bad. I and know. I wanted and to don't forget about his Remember when he totally I, went over the what was that word that he just totally just made a sound instead of reading the word? <laughs> <laughs> I gotta get that clip for y'all. Kid, um, kids, the education is important. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, um, he can't read. Not really, because anything is possible, and you can make, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars without an education. For <laughs> when I look at something like this, I've, I'm always reminded by a certain Richard Sherman who just recently negotiated his own contracts because he didn't want a, an agent. And he he happened to say, you know, if you're not if you're in the NFL, you've had a college experience that you should be able to at least be competent enough to handle your own finances or at least be able to check on things a little bit. If you can't do that, you deserve to lose all of your money. I'll just leave. I'll just go with him and I'll just quote Richard Sherman. Well, Casey Mack in the uh, chat says, Casey's lying his ass off. He said he's making it up because his wife's coming after that bag. I didn't think about Ooh. that either. He is about to go through it. The girl. So he, he's trying to get his knives on. He's trying to hide his money from Khalid. Um, he's trying to get his Carlos, that's a, that's get his Carlos Boozer on. That's a great point because I did not think of that. Yeah, Carlos Boozer played like $63 a month in, in child support now because he claimed he has no income. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Boozer, you know, he's working the system. You should be ashamed of yourself. I can't say I'm mad at it. Yo, Boozer, yo, Boozer's net worth is like $60 million, too. But he pulled that <laughs> off. Yo, Boozer's working the system, and I'm not mad at you. All right. So so that's what happened this week. Why y'all want to grind? I was going to do a quick birthday shout-out, and then we're going to get back to the phone lines while, you know, during this NFL segment. All right, so the birthdays are brought to you by no one in particular. Uh, shout out to my man EJ. Birthday segment is unsullied by sponsorships, um, <laughs> not by choice because we ain't got one. So anyway, shout out to uh, Nene who turns 36 years old. Um, My birthday, yay! Nene is still serviceable. Nene, big man, no nad. Huh? You said <laughs> Nene or no nad? No nad, hilarious. Um, shout out to Travis Knight. Travis Knight is 44 years old. I remember, you know, when Travis Knight came into the league with promise, but to me, I was like, you got to show him. He, had a he spark just like a tall, skinny white dude. Um, he had a spark when he started. I think he was one of those skilled players with a high enough basketball IQ, but his athleticism just didn't match up with what he could do. I mean, kind of like me now at my age and and my current weight. Like, I think I'm the smartest I've ever been about basketball. Like, I'm teaching my seven-year-old son concepts about the game that the other people his age probably have no clue about because I need to do something with this knowledge because I damn near can't go on the court and do anything with it um, without ending up in the hospital. So that was always Travis Knight to me, even when he was 20 years old. Um, shout out to Denny Nagel, who turns 50 years old. Uh, Brad Johnson, Super Bowl champion winning quarterback, Brad Johnson. He turns 50. Um, shout out to Bernie Williams, former New York Yankees. He's 50. And then shout out to another Johnson, pause that, uh, Michael Johnson. Um, 
<laughs> of track and field fame. Um, so we like to give a war room salute to all of these folks on their birthday. Yay! Y'all, y'all childish, man. I can't do nothing around y'all. <laughs> I can't just speak the king's English around I'm these trying, days, I'm man. trying, Bill. I'll be on the lookout for everything you say. All right. So once again, y'all can check out the website, worldroomsports.com. If you want to call in and speak with us about mainly NFL topics, that's what we're going to do for the rest of the show. But I know some people have been holding for a while. So if you got some stuff from early in the show that you want to uh, chime in on, no doubt you can do that. The uh, Digital Extreme Tech Hotline is open. It's 323-410-0012. Press 1 when prompted. But if you're already listening from your phone, just press 1 if you want to talk. And this NFL segment is brought to you by Digital Extreme Technologies. Do you or your business need a custom website? Well, for dynamic, professional, and most of all, affordable custom website solutions, you need Digital Extreme Technologies. No need to break the bank for an effective online presence. Top quality, results-driven websites at incredibly affordable prices. And yes, financing options are available. So visit digitalextremetech.com or call 267-205-4203. And for discounted rates, be sure to tell them the homies over at War Room Sports sent you. All right. Let's talk about some Fitz magic. Um, John Gruden and, you know, some of the puzzling questions he had about his team after the game, uh, Patrick Mahomes' debut, Aaron Rodgers' injury, and a little bit more. But before we do that, we are going to go to the phone lines. Uh, we got a couple of callers. We got the homie Naj calling in from down on the ATL. Naj, what's going on? You're in the war room. Uh, hey, ain't much, man. I'm chilling, man. How y'all? We good, man. We good. Same old, what same up, old. Naj? You know, I can't, what I can't up, say nothing up? around these dudes. <laughs> no, no, good. Hey, I'm well, a little me, bit more tame than the that, other guy, but <laughs> so let, let, let me hit the WNBA point before we hit the NFL, though, just real quick. Firstly, firstly, shout out to uh, Colosolo, uh the working man's a sucker. Uh, they sat down <laughs> and had a meeting, talked about you know revenue within the league and the players. And they leave the meeting, and Skylar Diggins and some folks get out there and start saying, well, the NBA players make – whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not what they talk to y'all about the meeting. About they talk to y'all all about they the share of the revenue made, not comparing yourself <laughs> to other leagues. That's crazy as hell. So, yeah, they made the bad argument instead of the real argument, which was they're laying the foundations for the WNBA to be around 50 years from now, so they should ask for a bigger share of the revenue made. Not that you right. should make, you know, crazy contracts like other established leagues. They got out there on Instagram, put that bad argument out there. Now they're going to have hell when the labor mm-hmm. fight starts because the teams are just going to go back to this and kind of present, you know, the fans against the players, and they're going to lose. So shout out Gosh. to the WNBA players for taking on the NFL players' legacy of bad uh, negotiations. Oh, go ahead. Nah, I love I, I love Skylar Diggins with with a large part of my heart and a large part of my other anatomy, but she has got to be stupid. Stop on stupid when she brought that up. And I was looking at her like, oh, you're too beautiful to be that dumb. You can't possibly be this. 
imagine holding a meeting with her for a few hours and she walks away with that. I know you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's not what was said. Like she, yeah, I'm like, she ruined so their argument. All these powerpoints that I done made and presented to y'all, and that's what you leave here with? Like, come on. Man. <laughs> <laughs> you know who Got was scrolling do. on their phone during the meeting? That that's what that exactly. But, uh, exactly. You were not paying attention. <laughs> right, but but going to the NFL, man, we got to get away from uh, outcomes and start looking at process more than anything. So guys like Dak, Tyrod, Alex Smith, they're the same guy, risk-averse quarterbacks who you can win with if your team is structured a certain way and you call the plays that they can actually, you know what I'm saying? Nah, they don't poop on, don't poop on Alex Smith like that. Don't poop on Alex Smith. Alex Smith is the same ball game, bro. He is entirely he is entirely dependent on the play caller and the system he's put in, and eventually the people want to run him out of town because they're too they're too tired of him missing big plays that could be made and being too scared to throw in the tight windows. Andy Reid and we saw it in San Francisco when Kaepernick took his job. Alex is the same guy. Like these yeah, all yeah. all the three of these guys are saying. I'm saying you can't win with them, but your team has to be. He's not going to have that way. problem in Washington because you know they're always well, the star well, for a really, name anyway. And those dudes yeah, aren't getting open. So they're not going to too many opportunities. <laughs> yeah, but Gruden is Who? kind of the same. Ill. Gruden built a system around Kirk Cousins to make Cousins look a lot more better than what he is. So he's going to do the same thing with Alex. I don't know if, if at a certain point he sees there's a ceiling there and decides to move on from Alex. But, you know, you can, you can, play, you can game plan with guys like that and still win. The issue becomes when the media starts presenting guys as superstars and these guys are really, really dependent on who's around them, Nick Foles, for example. And, you know, that's just how this thing is. But we got so used to crowning people as far as quarterbacks that we start thinking every new guy is a superstar. And you go to the draft and they tell us it's a Hall of Famer in every draft. Like, come on, man. Hall of Famers are not in every draft. Every quarterback class is not going to be great. And there are going to be some mediocre guys and some above average, you know, replacement players. For the most part, so the, the question is, Yo, can you structure? A you're gonna around? hate this. You're gonna hate this draft class, man. If you really, if you just off of what you just said, and, I, and you know I'm the college guy, but you're gonna hate this draft class because they're already crowning Drew Locke at uh, at Missouri. <laughs> they're, a, they're already crowning him already, and well, Justin Herbert at Oregon. We know what Oregon quarterbacks look like, regardless of who's the head coach. I'm just yeah. and, and we can't and Nick Fitzgerald at uh, Mississippi State who's just a bigger Tebow. I'm just looking no. out there. You just but you might want to just avoid the whole quarterback. How quickly they crowned Dak during his first preseason <laughs> was when Tony Romo yeah. was was hurt. Like they they crowned him. So I bet the Cowboys would love kicked, to have him back. <laughs> they just kicked Tony Romo to the curb like he was a nobody. This was the first time that the Cowboys had somebody who won games while Tony Romo was sitting down, and they got excited. Oh, we don't need Tony. Yo, well, oh, we need Tony all this time. of having a cheap quarterback for a couple of years. I mean, this is how Seattle the, built their built the, their thing. So I mean, that's on the part low, of it too. But on the low, Dev, would you say Tony Romo is the third best Dallas quarterback ever? Third, yeah. Best? I wouldn't yeah. argue. Yeah, I wouldn't argue. Yeah, that. I wouldn't argue. I probably would. I yeah. yeah, but but he does. Yo, they be, be pumping on Tony Homo <laughs> and Quiet Step. I'd I'd replace him. I would replace McNabb with Tony Romo in a in a New York minute. Yo, we don't want oh, a Super oh, Bowl oh, with oh, this. Okay, now now you did. You brought up McNabb when 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 they ran Andy out of Philly. 
And we saw Andy go to Kansas City. People finally understood. Andy is a great caller, great play caller, really oh, good at scheme, yep. really bad at time management. Bad but adjusting. he made yep. McNabb not the other mm-hmm. way around. Now people finally get it. They mm-hmm. saw McNabb was a Hall of Famer when Talk no, he was just pretty Talk good playing in a good system of talent around. That the is only play thing is perfect, perfect the, example of what I'm saying. The only thing about it, Nas, is that myself and B. Austin were telling people that the whole time. But we were just haters. Why Why we would hate <laughs> on our own team when we rooted for McNabb every play of his career, but we were just being honest? I don't know. Because remember, McNabb left before Andy. He went to Washington and stunk the joint up. Like, and when he came down here, yo, they were oh, so God. excited. Oh, we got McNabb now. We going to the Super Bowl, this and that. I'm like, I don't know, dog. I don't know if y'all want to get that excited, especially with him <laughs> being away from Andy. McNabb without right. Andy – not Play a quarterback. Is an art. You just is an you art just hating because he left we'll your team. You hating because he left your we'll team. See how much of, went well, well, look, see how much play so... calling is an art form uh, with Matt Ryan because Matt Ryan is without Kyle Shanahan, and you see the difference. You, just the difference between uh, Sarkeesian and Shanahan, even regardless of it's the run game, the pass game. Sarkeesian is terrible it, though. I mean, because <laughs> there's, there's no doubt about it that under Shanahan, Matt Ryan had his greatest seasons of his career, but it's not like he wasn't a very good quarterback before Shanahan came. Then the yeah, drop-off. Yeah, but he wasn't no damn MVP. His, and, yeah, his drop-off from <laughs> the, the art, the the art form that is called season. play calling. Gets and and what they look like after one game this season, like Sarkeesian, I don't understand why Yo. they brought him back. How many times did Matt no, Ryan Sarkeesian, force the ball to Julio Jones against the Eagles Sarkeesian, first week of the season? Sarkeesian as a play as a play caller is like playing nine on eleven. Dude is terrible, <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is, and like I said, that's why you know that's not emphasized enough when you're talking about the NFL, man. Play calling matters. Who uh, understands game plan matters, and who also understands the limitations of their quarterback or the strengths of their quarterback. That stuff matters. So, right. you know, like Nathan Peterman, he's a bum. Like, there's nothing you can do with Nathan Peterman. No, guys nothing. like Alex and Tyrod, you can win with those guys. Even Dak. Like, Dak's not a bum. Like, Dak can play within a system that's built around the run game uh, and him <laughs> making those short throws. Yes, you can you win can, with Dak. But if you want Dak to throw people open, yeah, but if you want Dak to throw people open or throw in the tight windows, like, no. Like, that's, that's not going to work. Like, why would you even sign up for that? But if you got somebody like Jason Garrett employed, things like that could happen. So, I mean, that that's, you know, that, that's where that kind of stuff falls. As far as Matt Ryan, man, that dude has limited arm strength to begin with. He knows where the ball is supposed to go, but that don't mean he's going to get it there. And when you get down in that red zone, man, he just can't fire it in. And he's not crafty enough or, I don't know, mechanically sound enough right now uh, to make the plays. I, I think we need to yeah, make the receivers don't separate. He, when's the last he threw time a we heard Muhammad Sanu's name? Hey man, he how many years? How many years back? Tom Brady been throwing the dudes who can't get separation, but Tom Brady's ball placement gets them open. You're yeah, very yeah, many, right. many, many but that plays right in the gets ball. them open. Ball yeah, placement. Yeah, I don't know if you remember. It was just a Eli. week ago. Matt did Ryan threw Eli a deep ball last Thursday. Oh God! Where he just heaved it down the middle of the field. And Julio yeah, was, like, oh, on the I right sideline, and the ball just landed, like, <laughs> 20 yards away from Julio. Yeah, Julio know. was just looking yeah, at the ball like, what was that? It was bad. <laughs> Julio was looking like, that should have been in my hands, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. He's like, he ain't I even mean, looking like <laughs> how the ball get over there. And it goes and it, and that kind of goes regardless of what level you're talking about because I even look at again, I'm the college guy, but I look at Alabama for example with uh Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts gets all the gets all of the the criticism, but when the second he lost Lane Kiffin, that offense looked really stale. And it still, I mean, you have a decent quarterback in in Tua, but how they haven't played anybody yet. So you don't know what's going to really what he really looks like until you get into the meat of your season where defenses really look good and they're fast. But Mm-hmm. Play calling is an art. It's an art form, and very few guys can do it. Yeah, man. Yeah. So, I'm, I mean, look, if you want to believe in Tony Romo, who has that Brett Favre streak in him, I can see why the Cowboys moved on. You don't want to pay that huge cap number. You got this cheap guy. You got the running game already. You invested in the offensive line. I can see how you could talk yourself into rolling with Dak and seeing what you can do in the future. But now that O line's banged up, so what do you actually have? You look really bad on offense, and you're going to have to scheme your way out of it. And it don't look good going going so far. But let's go to Eli. Eli knows where the ball is supposed to go. Can he put place it there still? Hard to say, man. I saw Odell break open a few times, and the ball was not. Crazy. Eli had a moment when the ball went up and just randomly hit the ground, uh, just went to a spot. <laughs> Eli had a couple. Eli had a moment. Eli had three throws that should have been touchdowns straight up to Odell Beckham Jr. and they were all incomplete. He got bailed yeah. out on some pass interference calls too. But Ooh, you know, yes, he you know right. Eli has more yeah. experience. Eli is on the he's on the later the, the later years of his career. Like Matt Ryan, Tom Brady's have even farther games. in his career. I don't want to hear that. No excuses. No, I'm just saying. Yeah. Tom Brady is different. Tom Brady you know? is an exception, dude. Yeah. Plus, I was yeah, comparing but, him but to Matt Ryan. Time, I was saying play, Matt Ryan doesn't play, have an excuse. Yeah. Right, right. Not having arm strength, yeah, that, that's a problem as you age. But ball placement and touch, those are things you can work on. Hey, man, Dirk used to bring that guy out to do that damn lame-ass kick jumper and practice and all that. What is Matt Ryan and Eli doing? They're not bringing their old QB coach to make sure all of their fundamentals are sound because they can't afford to have a foot out of place, uh, elbow not at the right ain't like anything. There's no room for error with them, so they need to go back to perfect mechanics on every throw. That's yeah, weird. you're an old man now. You know what I'm saying? You can't just it, it go out there and Patrick Mahomes it. Hey man, some of us gotta some of us gotta creep a blue pill in for the night just in case. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, <laughs> you're not the same home run hitter you used to be. So I mean, it is what it is. But yo, I'm gonna hang back and listen to y'all, man. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks for your call as usual, man. We appreciate it. Sure. <laughs> yo, um, <laughs> all right, so. We spoke about it a little bit earlier, man, and, and I know I knew Tobias was going to bring it up when he called in, but the Fitz Magic was back for a game. This dude throws for over 400 yards. He's hitting all of his receivers. Everybody's eating. Everybody's happy. Even Deshaun Jackson is happy. And Tampa fans, and it's not anything that Tobias is making up because I've been listening to sports shows all week with Tampa fans calling in, trying to ask the host, if they can think of scenarios where Fitzpatrick can, you know, stay in as the quarterback and Jameis can just go away. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, like, you don't have to be like super duper diehard NFL fan to know the Fitzpatrick life cycle. Like we've seen this before. How many people are going to keep falling for it? I guess they're thinking, no. you know, sometimes – his magic does last for 
most of a season because that's how he ends up, get, you know, getting a, a contract offer that he that he doesn't live up to. But it, you know, but you know, at any given moment, he can just go back to the the, the bad Fitzpatrick. So why do you even trust that anymore? I've seen yeah. it as bad. I've seen it get as bad already as I've seen twenty twenty mock drafts. Why are we mock drafting something in 2020? We haven't gotten to 2019. But I've seen it as bad as Jameis is gone, and we're talking Tua Tonga Liola being the first pick in the draft for Tampa. That's how bad it's getting by Tampa. To take over for Fitzpatrick, not Jameis. Fitzpatrick is going to be yeah. the new – he's going to be the new Sam Bradford, where he's the bridge between your former exactly. quarterback and your new quarterback. <laughs> exactly. And the, the Tampa Tampa fans are fools for wanting this in the beginning because outside of Jameis not really being able to keep his hands to himself, he's not a terrible quarterback. He just needs to work on some accuracy things and keeping his hands to himself. Well, do you guys think that Fitz can keep his magic up for another week against the uh, Philadelphia Eagles? I believe in Fitzpatrick being able to keep this up as much as I believe in Tim Tebow making an NFL comeback. Damn. <laughs> Damn. No, and, and I feel nah, and I, 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 you know what? We we've 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 taken our turns pooping on Fitzpatrick and, and rightfully so, but I have seen him do this for three quarters of a season. And so I'm still somewhat nervous. I think that our defense, I think the Eagles defense is like nothing that um like nothing that um Fitzpatrick has faced recently. So I think we'll be okay, but I certainly don't believe that he's just going to wilt after one game. Right. And Philly doesn't have the bomb squad on in the secondary that the Saints had either. Uh, that's that's one of the things you have to remember. But you know, yeah, yeah, but, but let me Philly let me say the pressure up front than the Saints had. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, I don't care. I don't care if you have a bomb squad in the secondary. If you're not yeah, bringing time. pressure, Fitzpatrick, Fitzpatrick made the Saints secondary look amateurish. And I know Lattimore is a great, is a not great, but a very good corner. But no one can cover for four, four and five seconds. And if you're not getting yeah, pressure, exactly. you know. So for us, I, I have a lot of difficult position in the game, in my opinion. In the, so yeah, it, it, it's asking way too much against any quarterback to not get any pressure and and you expect us to run around with guys for four and five seconds, yeah. you know, six and seven seconds. Sometimes with dudes like Aaron Rodgers running around, I don't, I got to do something. I don't, front. I don't, you know, I don't think our secondary, I don't think the Eagles secondary is great, but we're a top 10 secondary with a top two or three front seven. And that front seven makes all the difference in the world. So we're good enough. And Fitzpatrick hasn't faced that type of front seven. So we're all, we'll be okay. Fitzpatrick will have and, to see Fletcher Cox and not Sheldon. And the defense gave up 40 points as well. So for an offense that struggled in week one, like uh, Phillies did, you know, this could be a good time for Nick Foles to get into a little bit of a groove, you know, if they're going to play the same way they played last week, but that, that, you know, that is Drew Brees that they were playing against. So there is a big difference. All right. So we'll, we'll see what the, you know, if he can bring out the Fitz magic, I'm hoping that he does it. Um, what did you guys think of Patrick Mahomes debut four touchdown passes, 
you know, there's a lot of people who just, you know, they like to be on the negative side of things. Some people just like to keep it real. It's, it's a little mixture of both, a little hating and a little realness. Um, when you tell people he had four touchdown passes, they, they're quick to point out that two of them were one-yard touchdown passes. One of them was an 11-yard touchdown pass. Um, look, touchdown passes are the are touchdown passes, really, because tell, tell, tell Matt Ryan that, Mahomes only had a, a pair of one-yard touchdown passes when he was in the red zone all day and couldn't do anything. So, you know, touchdowns, you get it in the end zone, that's the name of the game. So I'm not going to knock them because they were short touchdown passes. You still had to call the right play. You still had to execute it. Mm-hmm. Scoring down that low is actually a little bit more difficult because the field Tougher. strength. Windows are not so, there. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm not going to knock them for – the, the yardage in his touchdown passes, but I think he had a pretty good debut. The league did as well because he was AFC offensive player of the week. Um, what did you guys think of Pat Mahomes and his much anticipated debut as the chief starter? You guys. Um, yeah, I'm, you. I'm, Go ahead. Be awesome. No, I was going to say I'm, 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 I'm impressed. You know, I got to take a wait and see approach, but I'm, I'm impressed. The, the athleticism is there. We'll see what he does when there's a little bit more film on him. But I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Well, you guys know how I feel about Mr. Mahomes and this offense. I think it's the perfect marriage between a good quarter, a good quarterback and uh, a really good play caller. He has the arm that can get it done. Yeah, I mean, it, you now have a quarterback that can go get it to to uh, Tyreek Hill without having him break stride. And it's it shows, I mean – this offense is scary, and, you know, in the pre- when we previewed the season, I said this offense could be really scary or it could be really bad. So far, yeah, it looks really got, scary. They got Tariq Hill and Sammy Watkins, Sammy Watkins on the edges, even though Sammy Watkins ain't do nothing first game. But, but it's still, the threat of them the being able to go That is the thing, though. After all of these years, I mean, not like it's been a, a whole lot, but after these years, we're still talking about Sammy Watkins and his potential. Um, at this point, Sammy Watkins is just a guy with a name. Sammy Watkins <laughs> is what he is. His name is bigger than what his game is at this point. But yeah. we still talk about him with a little modicum of fear, like, man, we got Sammy Watkins on the edge. I the cornerback is probably like, so. Because you're telling me that for? I think maybe that has a little bit to do with the fact that he played on a not-so-great Bills team when he was drafted. He didn't have the type of quarterback he has now who can just put it to, put it on him. I mean, he was dealing with EJ Manuel and Tyron Taylor at the time. I mean, and then he went, he had Jared Goff in a new offense. He was hurt. That all of those things go into that. And now you have a more explosive offense, and you don't have to be the guy. There's something to be said about not having to be the guy. I mean, Amari Cooper got used to it, and you see what he is now. No, that's no, the crazy I thing about you, it. I, 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 that's a great, so that's much, a great, so much uh, attention. Sammy can start to, to eat off of that. Go ahead, be my bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, no, no. That's a great. That's an absolutely amazing point. What you just said there, Fred. But the bottom line is, Sammy Watkins wasn't drafted to be a number two or a number three yeah, guy. Yeah, he was. Right, yeah, a, he was supposed to be the guy. Or a number three guy. I still believe Sammy Watkins can give you a lot of production. But we, they drafted him with ideas that he could uh, approach what they believe Odell Beckham will be. You know what I'm saying? So it's not. Yeah. 
Well, if he can I remember healthy. when he when he came out of Clemson, he was supposed to be the better player between him and uh, DeAndre Hopkins. They, the comparisons to AJ Green were always there, and I mean, DeAndre, even nice. in college, I didn't I didn't see the AJ Green comparison, but I saw where you could I could see where people were saying, this, okay, he could be a he could be a guy, he could really be someone you'd be worried about because of his athleticism, his ability to go up and get it in the run after catch, but. I don't know. Receiver is one of the toughest positions to transition to in the league because in college, guys don't have to run a true route tree anymore. It's just bubble screens and go routes, really. That's really a lot of what you have to do. Yo, man, DeAndre got what Shaq calls feet work. <laughs> feet work. DeAndre is a dog. The thing is, he's a dog, too. I mean, he he'll he'll mix it up with you. Ask um, D'Angelo Hall. I'm just going to leave it at that. I even broke that man's ankles in the joint practice. I told these folks stop talking to me. Um, so what, what did y'all think about Aaron Rodgers and his injury, man? He had a he had a Paul Pierce moment the other night. Uh, laid on the ground, got carried off the field, got carted back to the locker room, and then actually came back. I mean, y'all y'all remember the 2008 finals when y'all man Truth laid next to the bench like somebody shot him from the upper deck. <laughs> then he went off the court in a wheelchair looking like, you know, you know <laughs> and then came back at his Willis Reed moment on mid-game. Um, Aaron Rodgers had the same kind of moment. Chicago was in control of the game when he left. Khalil Mack was, I was out really there worried. And like he was the best player in the league at the time. And then Aaron Rodgers comes hobbling out of the tunnel and – them on three touchdown drives to, to bring the game back and win it. Um, I think that I think the injury is real. Um, I think he was worried about the pain. The I thought he was done for the season. I, I, well, I was a little worried. Yeah. I, I, I thought it bad for that. Yeah. I, I think I think he's I think it's a it's a real injury. I just think that he he realized, hey, I can't do any more damage to it than it already is. I can finish this game, you know, and, and, and so we came out there and, and, and toughed it out. I think we'll find that there is some level of minor uh, soft tissue damage. Um, it, it may not be a full-on tear, um, but some, something was wrong. It's not a tear. They've been rehabbing it for the it, it was a It was a knee sprain. Yeah, he hasn't even practiced. I, I'm thinking, you know, just for, you know, just to, you know, preserve your hopes for the rest of the season, I would probably sit him out. I know it's a big opponent. You know, they're playing the Vikings. That's probably who they're going to be battling with to, um, to try to win the division. Um, but I think I would, I would, I would let them sit out of this one, man, just to be on the safe side for next week. But we'll see if he ends up on the, on the field again. The mobility again. is going to be a lot different. It's going to be a lot different right. in extending plays. Right, and this is this might be the game that you want him in there less mobile than Aaron Rodgers. You might not want to throw him to the the new age purple people eaters when he can't move. But if cyborg uh, version Aaron Rodgers shows up in that game, uh oh, because I what I saw on Sunday night that uh, even with even without the injuries, very few guys do that. You see the Joe Montana's of the world, the Steve Young, Brady, Manning, those are 
those those kind of guys put those performances together. And quite honestly, the Bears kind of crapped the bed in that game too. I mean, those guys on scholarship. Oh, I mean, they're not ready yet. They're not ready to finish um, games with, with that kind of pressure yet. But they, they look good in the first half of the game. Um, nobody's picking the Bears to do anything special this year but improve, and I think they will do that. Those signs up in the, in the first game. Um, we, we, we mentioned Khalil Mack for a moment, but I, I want to ask you guys a question. Um I was about to say his former head coach, but he really didn't get a chance to play for him. John Gruden, you know, his team looked okay for a half and then got smoked by the dream team in the second half. Um, John Gruden, after the game, was wondering, uh, he was a little puzzled about why his team wasn't getting any pressure on a quarterback. Does anybody want to give him an answer for that? Yo, John Gruden... (laughs) Somebody, somebody in management has to teach John Gruden about the way the fifth-year option is set up for deals nowadays because he was upset. He was upset that Khalil Mack was going to hold out on the fifth-year option, but that's par for the course. Everybody does that. Everybody does but, but that. You that's not Khalil Mack a couple of days before the season starts. And after game one, you asked the media out loud why we didn't get any pressure on the quarterback. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe because you traded the second coming of Lawrence Taylor to the Bears right before the season. I don't know. I, that's just a thought that I had, man. It was, it was a weird question. Um, but yeah, it, as, as Fred and I talked about on Cover Two, um, and you guys check out the latest episodes of Cover Two on the War Room Sports, uh, the War Room Sports YouTube page, uh, we talked about that there. So if you want to see that conversation a little more in depth, just make sure you check out the War Room Sports YouTube page and, and go to Cover 2. Um, it, was, it was just a little bit weird to hear him say that. All right, so we only have like a minute left. We were going to talk about some of these games in depth, these games of the week. But we're going to go rapid fire with it. I'm just going to ask you guys. I'm going to give you the game, and you just tell me who's going to win. We don't need anything extra with it. Just tell me who's going to win. Um, uh, Thursday nighter, Ravens at Bengals. B? Bengals. Fred? Ravens. Ravens. I think the Ravens are going to go on the road and take this one as well. Uh, Panthers at Falcons. Fred? Panthers. B? Falcons. Falcons. I'm going to take the Panthers on that one. Vikings at Packers. I'm going to take the Vikings on in the Lambo. Not knowing what's up with Aaron Rodgers. B, who you, who you got? Vikings. Fred. Purple People Eaters. Chiefs at Steelers. Fred. I got to go with the Chiefs. I like it. <laughs> B. Uh, Chiefs. Chiefs here as well. We got a lot of road teams winning here. Eagles at Buccaneers. B. Eagles. Eagles for me as well, Fred. I'm going with the Eagles. Kind of worried, though. Patriots at Jags. Rematch of the AFC Championship. Fred, who you got? You don't have to ask me this one. You don't have to ask me this one. B, who you got? Jags. I got the Patriots as well. I'm sitting here looking like, damn, I might have picked all all away teams on this. 
All right, everybody, it's time for us to get up out of here. So thank you, brothers and sisters, for joining us for another briefing in the War Room. Shout out to everybody in the chat room, Facebook, Twitter, War Room Sports, Game Time on the Group Me app, and all the callers who called in to chop it up with us. If we didn't get to you, man, our bad. We will get to you next week, we promise. Special thanks to Guff Griffin for sending in his handicap picks. Uh, Special thanks to uh, Jason Campbell for writing that piece on Serena and actually calling in to talk about it. Uh, Special thanks for Fred. Uh, Fred Perdue for helping us uh, steer this bird without Jimmy. Uh, Tune in next week, live right here on demand as we recap NFL Week 2 and preview Week 3. We'll catch you up on everything else happening around the world of sports. So until then, enjoy your weekend, enjoy your week, and we'll see you right back here next time. Be sure to catch our conversations on Facebook, Twitter, as well as our blogs, webcasts, and network podcasts on warroomsports.com. Also, make sure you pick up a copy of Jimmy's book, at sportsthebook.com or warroomsports.com. Until next time, everybody, don't accept mediocrity. Be steadfast in the war against ignorance, and we'll see you chumps on top. www.warroomsports.com What? Ain't no more to it.